welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. Today is February 7th, and today we're going to look at Genesis 38. Just as a reminder, every day I read one chapter from the Word of God. So today, Genesis 38, and then I offer a very brief explanation of key ideas and themes and theology My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. So let's get into our reading today from Genesis 38. And Genesis 38 says this, It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Olamite whose name was Hura. And there Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went in, and she conceived and bore a son and called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Cherizbub when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. And then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, and so whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give uh, offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord and put him to death also. And then Judah said to Tamar, his his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. And so Tamar went and remained in her father's house. And in the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. And when Judah was comforted, he went up to Timiah to his sheep tears, he and his friend Kira the Adalmite. And when Tamar was told, Your father-in-law is going up to Timah to shear to shear his sheep she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Emim, which is on the road to timnah and for she saw that sheila was growing up and she had not been given to him in marriage and when judah saw her he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face he turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you see it, he said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. And so he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. And then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. And then Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adalmite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand. He did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, Where is the colt prostitute who was at Ebam at the roadside? And then he said, No colt prostitute has been here. And so he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. 
Also, the men of the place said, No cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, Let her keep the things as her own, or we will be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tomorrow your daughter-in-law has been immoral, and moreover she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said to her, Bring her out, and let her be burned. And so she was brought out, and she sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, Please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. And then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not know her again. And when the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. This is our reading today from Genesis 38. You know, some Midianites had just sold Joseph into, into Egypt before our excursus on Providence. And today we open to Genesis 38, where Moses passes over Joseph briefly to look at another son of Jacob. And the temporary emphasis on Judah here is expected because Moses is in the process of recounting the story of Israel's children, the generations of Jacob. Genesis 38 also tells us how Judah begins to change from a heartless son to one willing to sacrifice for another, as we'll see in chapter 44. It is therefore important for Moses to include his story here in chapter 38. Now, Judah showed himself to be a scoundrel when Joseph was sold into slavery, as we saw last uh, yesterday in Genesis 37. And our chapter today bears out this evaluation. We see in the verse 5 verses of our chapter today that Judah marries a Canaanite. And so he dishonors Jacob, who, like his fathers before him, probably warned his sons not to marry pagans. Judah also fails as a father. His, his son Ur marries Tamar, for whom scholars agree was a Canaanite woman. He is so evil that the Lord takes his life. Now, a man who died childless in ancient Israel might miss out on God's pledge to give his people many offspring, and his widow would have been left destitute. However, the Lord graciously addressed such a dire situation. The dead man's brother had to marry his sister-in-law, that is, Levite marriage, and count the first son they bore as a dead brother's child. This kept the brother's name from vanishing and gave the imperiled woman an inheritance. Now, Judah's other son, Onan, is evil because he violated this regulation, which was a known custom even before God sanctioned it in the Mosaic Code. Onan is willing to marry Tamar and enjoy the physical pleasures of their relationship, but he's unwilling to bear the burden of raising up a son for his brother. Now, each time he sleeps with Tamar, he acts as to prevent impregnating her. And by this, Onan figuratively raises his fist in protest against heaven, since his deeds ultimately attempt to block God's promise to give Jacob many grandsons. And thus, the Lord strikes him down dead in Genesis 38.10. After this, Judah delays giving his last son to Tamar for fear that he too may die, as we see in verse 11. And so all her in-laws fail to act justly by her. Now, Paul tells us that anyone who fails to provide for his family has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever in 1 Timothy 5.8. 
Onan was killed when he would not give a son to Ur or provide or be a provider for Tamar. And so we must not take a failure to provide for our families lightly. Note that this provision is just much more than just food and shelter. God will also reckon with us if we fail to spend quality time with spouses or children and do not point them to Christ as we see in 1 Samuel 3, 10-14. Now, the people of God and other people in the ancient world practiced Levite marriage prior to the codification of this in the Mosaic Law, according to Deuteronomy 25, 5-10. Now, even pagans acted to ensure that men who died childless would, would have sons to carry on their name and support their widows. Judah obeyed his duty at first, giving Tamar's brother-in-law, Onan, to her in order to bear sons for her dead husband, according to Genesis 38, 1-8. Now, Onan was struck down for wickedly refusing to give Tamar a son in verses 9-10 through of our chapter today. And so, like all sinners, he was happy to embrace pleasure but not responsibility. And yet, spiritual blindness was not limited to Ur and Onan alone. Judah failed to connect their sin to their deaths. Now, believing Tamar was bad luck, he delayed giving his last son to her, according to verse 11 of Genesis 38. And so, our chapter today shows that Judah never intended to give Shelah to his daughter-in-law, according to verse 14. See, he was concerned to provide for this vulnerable widow or to have grandsons to carry on his name. This would have horrified faithful Israelites as we see in Exodus 22:22 and even Psalm 128. But Judah goes his merry way. After briefly mourning for his dead wife, Judah joins his shepherds in the wool gathering season, a time of great partying and even drinking according to Genesis 38:12. Now, in contrast, Tamar still wears a widow's garments as she has been mourning her and owning a long time. And since her father-in-law has refused to do right for her, she disguises herself as a prostitute and conceives after sleeping with Judah, securing his seal and staff as a pledge in verses 13 through 19 of our chapter today. And now, we should be shocked at Tamar's move, but Moses' sympathy remains with her. In fact, the entire chapter clearly condemns Judah's unfaithfulness. There was no legal redress for her, and, and she could not marry another one of Judah's sons without his approval. And so, Moses thereby regards her as the most righteous actor in this drama, and so should we. In fact, most importantly, Tamar refuses to take a Canaanite husband, but she has renounced her pagan past to join God's people, no matter their flaws. Now, when, when the chosen family will not obey the Lord and raise up children for his patriarchs, a Gentile takes desperate measures to give Ur and his father Judah as an heir. Now, the faith of this foreigner is actually greater than that of her Israelite father-in-law. Our role in redemptive history does not hinge on us acting boldly to raise up physical offspring for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, this has not eliminated his call for us to take daring moves of faith. Like Tamar in Genesis 38, 24, we may be forced to put our lives or our livelihood on the line in order to do what is right to stand up for the sake of Christ. Have you today stepped out in faith in a way that it has cost you? Is Jesus Christ calling you today to make a bold move for the sake of his honor and glory?
Now, Moses does not fully share the misgiving that that we have regarding Tamar's seduction of her father-in-law. After all, she is really the victim in this story, those that though she has not done all that she can to faithfully bear a son for her dead husband Ur. Genesis 38 really condemns Judah, implying at least that his sin partially justifies Tamar's acts. Now, Judah's wickedness is plain in this chapter. He defiled his forefather's wisdom and married a Canaanite woman in verses 1 through 3 of Genesis 38. He showed no drive to give Abraham offspring. He ignored a helpless widow when he withheld Shelah from his daughter-in-law in verse 11 and 14 of our chapter today. He made Esau's heirs, uh, for he married a pagan and lustfully played the fool in seeking after a prostitute in verses 15 through 19. Uh, Proverbs twenty three twenty seven has something to say about that as well. And, and Judah also felt eye-for-eye eye justice when Tamar's deception of him involved a goat and clothing in verses 15 through 26 of our chapter, since he early deceived Jacob with these things in Genesis 37, 29 through 35. Now, this chapter, Genesis 38, it continues to reveal Judah's evil. In Genesis 38, 20 through 23, he sends his friend with a goat to pay his debt to Tamar and retrieve his seal and his staff. Now, both of these items would bear his name, and he would have been embarrassed if they were found out in a harlot's possession. This, this potential embarrassment, with no hint of remorse for his lust, it moves Judah to stop looking for Tamar, lest his dalliances be publicized. And not surprising, Judah is harsher with Tamar for her alleged immorality than he is with himself for his own sins, according to verse 24 of our chapter today. Now, Tamar was technically betrothed to Sheila, and her apparent adultery merited execution under the proper conditions. And yet, Judah changes his tune when Tamar produces his staff and ring, as capital punishment rightly applies to him as well, according to Deuteronomy 22, 22-24. Now, Judah also sees his refusal to give Tamar a husband for the sin that it is. Tamar is more righteous than he because his refusal to find her a husband has forced her to take such drastic action in verses 25 through 26 of our chapter today. Now, Judah, the son from the chosen line, ha- has cared little to live according to the promise of God that was given in Genesis 15, 1-6, and give a- a- Abraham many grandsons. Now, in contrast, by faith, Tamar has risked her life to increase the patriarch's progeny, even though she was not brought up knowing his Lord. Judah's disobedient refusal to give Tamar a husband showed that his faith was weak. We likewise show our faith to be wanting when we sin. Like Judah, we should be willing to confess our sins before God and others whom we trust when the Spirit pricks our consciences. John Calvin writes, Truth should so far prevail with us that we should not be ashamed to confess before the whole world those sins with which God charges us. We, we who confess the power of God's grace must never lose hope that his spirit can change the greatest sinner into the holiest saint. In fact, history proves time and time again that those who oppose the gospel most vehemently or flee from Christ most rapidly are often those who later confess Jesus most passionately. After all, the Lord transformed Paul from, from the gospel's fiercest opponent to the world's most effective evangelist in Acts 9. Augustine's godless sensuality was no match for the creator's effectual call. No matter how far gone we may think that a sinner may be, God's grace is greater and it's more far-reaching than any sin. 
Judah illustrates this perfectly. Here, here was a man so cold that he led his brothers to sell their own kin into slavery. In fact, on top of that, he ignored his daughter-in-law's desperate plight. You see, God changed his heart, bringing him to repent over his neglect of Tamar and, and later moving him to give up his life for Benjamin. And, and though he did evil like Simon, uh, Levi, and Reuben before him, uh, Judah's repentance results finally in his preeminence in Israel. Since God makes first in his kingdom only those who abase themselves and humbly repent of sin. Tamar demonstrates the Lord's grace a bit differently in depicting the great reward that comes to those who honor him. This remarkable woman willingly left her pagan past to serve the one true God and his people. And when Abraham's sons, according to the flesh, would not raise up children for him, thus ignoring the Lord's promise, she showed herself to be Abraham's daughter by faith when she risked her life to give heirs to Judah. Her faith, though not meritorious in itself, is crowned when the Lord makes her a matriarch of Israel. Tamar is as important to redemption as Isaac's wife, like Rebekah, the younger of her twin sons, is key, a key player in God's plan to save his people. We understand this quite well today, for we know clearly that God used Judah and Tamar through Perez to bring the Messiah into the world, according to Matthew 1, 1 through 17. And so Judah is one of many key figures in history who shows us that there are no sinners too wicked for God to redeem. Those who commit the most horrific crimes can still be transformed and renewed when they repent and turn to Christ alone in saving faith. And if this is true, we should never think that the Lord cannot convert and even sanctify even the chief of sinners. Do not give up praying for and reaching out to even the vilest offender of the law of God. Well, I want to thank you today for listening or watching the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and today is February 7th, and we've looked at Genesis 38. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.